Blog Talk Radio. Third, 2015 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard, where we discuss news, politics, and sometimes culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. Ayn Rand's philosophy of objectivism is the only philosophy that upholds the right to the pursuit of your own happiness. I'm your host, Amy Peikoff, and joining me here in the studio, as usual, is cartoonist Bosch Faustin. Welcome, Bosch. He is here under protest because I am threatening to talk about Barack Obama's State of the Union address. I'd rather yes. draw him the infidel. So, but, anyway. But we're not going to listen to him. Good. There, I, there is that. You know, I, I refused to listen to him this week. I was thinking about it, and I was thinking of doing the live tweet thing and stuff. And there were a couple... First of all, I just did not want to hear him or see him at all. By the way, Rush Limbaugh also... Uh, she, he refused, yeah. yeah which yeah. he doesn't. This is the first for him, as far as I know. Wow. Yeah, just, yeah, I mean, I've been in there live tweeting it sometimes and all this, and I was thinking, first of all, I, I don't have a huge audience such that my live tweeting actually <laughs> matters in terms of making, you know, right. like, you know, it's not going to make Ted Cruz fight for a different piece of legislation or any of those things. So there's that. Is it, I mean, I'm sorry if people did miss me tweeting about it. But the other thing is I don't know that reactions on the speed of Twitter – are as good as me sitting down with the text in front of my face and, you know, looking at it later, which is what I have done now. I've got nearly 15 pages or it's, you know, a little bit over 14 pages of text that I printed out from our beautiful whitehouse.gov website. And, you know, it's got the little parentheses where people supposedly were applauding for him. So that always makes you imagine how disgusting it would be to watch it. Well, you know, so you can you can even if you're reading it and all you're doing is reading it because you've seen a speech from him and you've seen the what do they call them train seals yeah. in the in the Congress, yeah. you know, you've seen them clap and stuff. You can still kind of imagine it. Well, so one thing someone else also said about a speech that no one will ever mention it after that speech after that day. No one will ever mention it because it's it's he's never had a memorable speech. Nothing has been worthwhile that he's ever said. It's it's full of propaganda, yeah. as we will see here tonight. Now, if you go to my blog at DontLetItGo.com, I'm warning you that link where I say here's the State of the Union address, if you click on that link, you will actually be going to WhiteHouse.gov. So if you have some reason that you don't want to go to WhiteHouse.gov because it probably puts us all on some kind of list or whatever, I understand, but you're probably on a list anyway. Just click the link. You can go read the big thing for yourself. Like I said, when I transferred it over to a Word document, printed it out, it's about 14 pages. I will give you some low lights today. 
And uh, then over there, you also see other stories that I plan to discuss today, a lot of privacy-related stories. Thanks to people who've been sending me a bunch of those via Twitter. You'll see that your privacy is still just as at risk as it's been before. And anything that Obama mentioned in his State of the Union address having to do with privacy is a bunch of garbage, as usual. We'll see that. And then finally, you'll see uh, links both at top and the bottom and everywhere. I'm telling you to, if you want to join me for Eben Pagan's Wake Up Productive course, today is the last day to register. I've seen a few of you have already registered for the business version of the course. There's a standard version, a business version. The standard version is a 12-week program where each week you're just watching a video of his for about a half hour, and it gives you a, a practical assignment to implement. It's a pretty small time commitment, but it is a big commitment in terms of changing the way that you manage yourself throughout your days. And so the whole idea is just to get you to take little steps each week consistently over a 90-day period. It's a 90-day course to give you plenty of time to instill habits. I, I read a New York Times piece last night, actually, and uh, an expert on habit changing was talking about, you know, they always say, oh, it's 21 days to change a habit. And apparently that's not true. It's somewhere between 66 and 185 days, okay. depending on the person's temperament. So I think a 90-day length of a court. No, no, it's, yeah. e it's even more. And so I like this approach of, you know, slowly over 12 weeks instilling a couple of new habits. So I think it's going to be fun. And uh, some cool people have signed up. I'm going to have some fun working with you guys. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to meet once weekly during the 12 weeks. As I understand it, he's going to release the regular weekly sessions starting on Monday, February 2nd, Ayn Rand's birthday. That's right. cool? uh, that's I, I, I'm sure that's completely a coincidence, uh -huh. but I think he has been influenced by Rand a bit because he mentioned Atlas Shrugged in a program that I've heard from him. I, you know, I don't know how much. But then the other thing is, um, so he'll release them on Mondays, and what I want to do is I want us to, you know, give you enough time to digest it and then speak on Tuesdays so that, you know, if anybody had any qualms about something, any challenges to implementing, you know, that week's assignment, that we get on it right away on Tuesday and then you've got the rest of the week to, you know, play with it until the following Monday's thing comes out. So once a week, right after his weekly things. And then afterwards, I want to do a short series of webinars with everyone who signs up with me where we kind of put this in the context of the theme that I'm starting to talk about this year, which is living a rational life in an irrational society. Obviously, productivity is a huge component of any rational life, but we'll have other topics that we'll discuss in, in those. But those will be after. The other thing that will be after the initial 12 weeks, because, again, none of us wants to be overwhelmed. We're all busy. Again, after the uh, initial 12 weeks, those people who have signed up for the business program, there's a whole bunch of extra material. There are actually, I think, for the business program people, weekly phone calls with Evan Pagan on business-related material. So you'll be you know, busy with that. And then we'll have some webinars at the end, a couple extra webinars for the business people where we can hash out kind of our plans and stuff. I'm on the business version of it, and I know that at least a couple of you guys are on it too. So that'll be fun to talk about with you guys. You know, what do you plan to do with the business version? 
you know, after taking the whole program, what are your thoughts? I think it's going to be a so good time. So it is the last day, and um, what time? Uh... Yeah, so as I understand, the registration closes at midnight tonight Pacific time. So those of you on the East Coast, you can go out and party and get back drunk at 2 a.m. and exactly. still register. <laughs> but those of us who live on the left coast... We have only until midnight, so get your registration in if you've been thinking about it. If you haven't even watched this video yet, watch the video because part of the whole thing about the success of this program is for you to actually, you know, like the guy that you think that he's solid, that he's got a good approach. Good. I've I've really enjoyed it so far. I've already watched the initial introductory orientation video, and I'm I'm liking it a lot so far. I've also seen notes on a past version of the program, and as I've said before. Some of the concepts that I've seen in there are ones that Alex Epstein uh, applies in the Resolution Revolution that a lot of us are fans of. So I kind of said, okay, if you know, he probably got those concepts from him. I'm interested in seeing the whole course that Pagan has to offer. And lo and behold, I get to. We also know, heard someone else say that uh, Evan Pagan is the best. Um out of them all. Right. Christian Berenstack came over to the Don't Let It Go On Herd page on Facebook and said that he thought this was the best productivity program out there. I mean, really what Pagan, Pagan is a super smart, super organized, disciplined guy who has studied, 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 and he puts all of this together in a way that he thinks will be most helpful to users. So some of it is not necessarily new, but what he's taking the best of the productivity literature out there, putting it together in a way that he thinks will be most helpful to people and actually help them implement it in their lives. And as far as I can tell, He's done a good job. I'm really looking forward to it. One last so, thing. Sorry. Yeah. As I mentioned that Jeroen uh, Brook had his talk about free speech the other day, mm-hmm. and it was great. And he actually used one of my pieces, which which, which was really cool to see up on the on the screen. And I, I met about five or six listeners to the show, which is really, really cool. And uh, I, wanted, I want to thank you for walking up and uh, just chatting for, for a few minutes. I really appreciate it. I, I want to thank you for, you know, going – Right nearby him when you know at any moment a I mean, horrible jihadist. Plus, Jerome said, "I love this piece." Uh, Bosch did it, so he pointed at me. He points you out. <laughs> you know, I put my, my my hand up and I said, "Okay, come yeah. get me." That's perfect. That's perfect. And it was very very great talk, and it was great meeting you guys, uh, listeners. I always appreciate it. Always. Excellent, excellent. Um, okay, yeah, and probably I don't actually. I'm not sure if you're going to be able to sit in on those weekly. Webinars with me, Probably but not. We'll, maybe, well, maybe some of them. Some of them. Yeah, maybe maybe the ones after the the part of the, right. the Rational Life series. We'll figure it out. We will figure it out. But yeah, oh oh, for those of you who care about schedule, of course, on the Tuesday session, I'm going to have them between 4:30 and 5:30 p.m. Pacific time. I'm trying to maximize the ability of people in all time zones to participate and still get to bed at a decent hour on a weeknight when you hopefully don't have any other plans. And like I said, I want to do it as soon as we can comfortably do it after Eben releases the weekly session so that we get on the application process uh, right away. That's part of my goal is to help people apply it. Okay, enough on that. So let's, uh, let's go to one of the main reasons we are living in an irrational society right now, namely Barack Obama. And yes, I read this entire thing, and no, I'm not going to read the entire thing to you, but I'm going to give you uh, (laughs) the entire State State of the Union address. The statist of the Union, is that what you called it? Yeah. Yeah, but overall, of course, what he's trying to do is he's trying to get everybody on board with him as much as possible because he knows he's faced with 
a Republican majority in both houses. He's threatening some pen and phone action every now and then to try to do what he wants. He says we should all get along, and yet I'm going to veto. I'm going to veto everything. Exactly. Right. Um, he threatens vetoes quite a few times, and um, in general, he tries to guilt everyone into agreement with him by way of morality. Yesterday, I had the privilege, again, of watching John Allison speak live. He came to Southwestern Law School, where I teach, and one of the things that he reminded everyone of, and we've heard this before from him, your own Brooke, other people, is that people don't vote their wallets. They don't vote even their practical stuff. What they vote are their values. What they vote are their morality. And what Obama at least says he's going to do, and he, what he does to a large extent in here, is talk more about values and vague generalities than he does about specific proposals. But it's so funny. He says, I'm not going to give you a checklist. And then, in, in effect, he does tell you all the various ways that he wants the government to point a gun at people and steal their stuff over the next several years in order for him to complete his transformation of America, right? I mean, that's really, he wants to do a fundamental transformation and, and he's part of the way there. He reiterated it in a, in a different way on the, in the talk about that. About, about the, a new foundation. And, some of right, that, yeah. Right, right. To rebuild America. Yes. Rebuild America on a new foundation and that, you know, we're part of the way there and let's because, just Because do it. that's the job of each president, right? Right. To rebuild America, a new foundation. Right. Because the original foundation is corrupt. No, of course it sucks. Yeah. It's just horrible. The pursuit of happiness, I mean, it, you know, and, and he never talks about that in the no. entire piece. Okay, so let's let's get on it. Um, at the beginning, he tries to take credit, throwing out stats for creating jobs at the fastest pace since 1999. Unemployment rate is now lower than it was before the financial crisis. This is garbage, of course, because a whole lot of people have fallen out of the unemployment, excuse me, out of the off the unemployment rolls, right? So at a certain point, if they've been unemployed longer than a certain amount of time, or if they just simply stopped looking for a job, then they no longer count in the unemployment figures. John Allison estimated about 10% unemployment is what it would be if they actually counted the real numbers. Right. I remember well, he seeing... He cooks the books, yeah. Obama. And I've, I've got a fact-checking link over at my blog at don'tletitgo.com. I think it was National Reporter or something. I can't remember the publication, but it's there. You can look at it. And then he talks about more of our people are insured than ever before. Um, duh. You think because you mandated that they buy it? Or else. And and what is that insurance worth, actually? I don't know. And then he says, we are free from the grip of foreign oil as we've been in almost 30 years. And on this count, he keeps trying to take credit for the fact that oil prices are low, that you know we're free from the grip of foreign oil. We have the top oil production, I guess, in the world right now. He's trying to take credit for this. And at the same time, later in the speech, he says, well, I'm protecting more federal land than ever before for environmental reasons. And basically, he's, saying, he's trying to take credit for something that he had nothing to do with because it is true, as, as I understand, the amount of Oil production, the amount of fossil fuel production on federal lands has decreased. So the total increase in oil production, the total increase in fossil fuels is due entirely to private land, private development on private land. It is no thanks to the government at all 
that this increase has happened. So you cannot, Obama, take credit for this and then later brag that you're protecting more federal land. It's a it's a bunch of garbage. Mm-hmm. Um, when he talks about bragging, you know, about Afghanistan and Iraq and everything, okay, ISIS is in Iraq thanks to Bush and you, yes. okay? So there's that. But, you know, listen to the way he does. He says, our, our combat mission in Afghanistan is over. See how he puts the word combat? Uh-huh. So... Obviously, we still have a bunch of people over there. And then when he talks about statistics, he doesn't tell you exactly how many people are aware because he combines the figures for Afghanistan and Iraq. Listen to this. He says, six years ago, nearly 180,000 American troops served in Iraq and Afghanistan. Today, fewer than 15,000 remain. Now, first of all, 15,000 is a lot of people and actually what you've done by reducing the size of the force, Barack Obama, is you've placed them at more risk, particularly with the rules of engagement, which say things like, oh, when they go to a briefing next to their Afghani so-called partners or trainees or whatever these people are, they can be armed and we can't. And so then yeah. our guys get, I mean, this is, you know, so all kinds of fudging of, of the stats. Uh, he, he tries to do a little primacy of consciousness and say the shadow of crisis has passed and the state of the union is strong, as if he can make it so by wishing. Um, he, he uses words, you know, like accept and commit. Are we going to accept an economy where only a few of us will do spectacularly well? All of this, this language, are we going to commit to something different? It hides the fact that this decision whether to accept or commit to do something different means are we going to point the government gun in somebody's direction and take things from them that they haven't taken before or make them do things that we haven't made them do before? Uh, You know, are we going to be dragged into costly military conflicts? He talks about, you know, this idea that if we go, it's, we're just being dragged into it. There's, you know, no real reason. It's not like we should have any resolve about it. And then he says, you know, or are we going to lead wisely using all the elements of our power to defeat new threats and protect our planet? Because protect of course he says, the well, the biggest threat is always climate change, you know, right? Um, are we going to be sorted into factions? You know, let's unite. Of course, he's going to say, let's unite, but I'm going to veto all your stuff. Yes. And I have a pen and a phone. Yes. So that's a bunch of garbage. And I want a race war and I want this and I want people to be, to be separate from, you know. He He assures us, you know, he's going to give this budget full of you know, dreams. I, I love. I saw this one meme about he's going to direct research on how to grow trees that will grow all the money that he needs to pay for this budget, right? But he's going to give them the budget with all the stuff that he wants everybody to pay for. And then he says, in the months ahead, I will crisscross the country making a case for those ideas. So basically, we're going to pay for him to go back and forth across the country so that he can urge everybody to steal even more from us. You know, he is, he's refusing oh. to be a lame duck. President, that's, yeah. what, that's what that, that's what we're trying to do. He's trying to pretend that he's not. He's trying. He's trying. And then he says, "Okay, now I'm going to tell you about all the values at stake." And he starts with a little anecdote. This family, you know, the family, the husband and wife, they sacrificed for each other. This is another thing I love from John Allison's speech. Love is not a sacrifice. Love is profoundly selfish. And if you ever doubted that, just imagine how you would feel if on your wedding day, your future, you know, spouse comes up to you and says. I'm so glad we're getting married. This is the biggest sacrifice I've ever made. In my, right? No. If if you love somebody and you're doing things for them and for your family unit, that is not a sacrifice. Uh, he tries to tell everyone that they are the reason that he ran for the office that he did. He's the. They're the reason that he's president. Yeah. Uh, 
Uh, we're going to rebuild the economy on a new foundation. You a know, new because, foundation, yeah, because, anti-capitalist. Because of him, exactly. Um, really, really bad. You know, but this idea he's going to talk about the values and not the concrete proposals. I think he knows that the more that people actually hear about the concrete proposals, yes. the less they like it because they see the big government hand reaching into their wallet and taking out more of the money. Um, and he talks about, you know, businesses have created new jobs, et cetera. But as, as I understand it, go check the fact-checking. He definitely exaggerates the amount. Uh, we're number one in oil and gas. Again, not thanks to Obama. It's all thanks to private enterprise, private development on private lands. So, yes, we are saving money this year, but it is thanks to them, not thanks to Obama. Sorry, that was my big stack of paper slamming down here. Um, then he talks about education, and he wants to brag about results in education. He says, we believed we could prepare our kids for a more competitive world. He says, today, our younger students have earned the highest math and reading scores on record. So he's trying to say, you know, I brought in Common Core, and it's helping, it's doing this. Scores are meaningless. We don't even know what the scores mean. They could be new tests, completely formulated. That's ridiculous. High school graduate uh, graduation rate has hit an all-time high. Okay, so they're passing more people, maybe. Who knows? More Americans finish college than ever before. Maybe they're in college because they can't get a job in your economy. I mean, none of this means anything. Uh, then he talks about um, sensible regulations could prevent another crisis, blah, blah, blah. He says, we have new tools to, to stop taxpayer-funded bailouts. Okay, first of all, he was involved in the second TARP, the GM, the quantitative expanction is a taxpayer-funded taxpayer, uh, taxpayer bailout yeah. of the entire he's, he's economy. He's a bailout in chief. And then he says, we have a new consumer watchdog to pr- protect us from predatory lending. And what does the consumer watchdog do also? It collects all of your private financial transaction information and puts it in a big, huge database that he correlates using the pen and a phone. He, he puts the collates, puts them all together, um, consolidates is the word I want, uh, in huge databases. So, yeah, we have the new consumer watchdog. It's just collecting a bunch of your private You know why info. he's saying all this? Because uh, if he walked up and said, here's how I made America better, this would be his speech. <laughs> you know I mean? It's true. So he said, instead of that, instead of pure silence, I want to yap it up. Right. You know? No, and you know, there's only... There's only one way in which I think we have gotten more free under Obama. One way. And he had nothing to do with it because, in fact, he opposed it originally and then changed his mind. You know what it is? Mm. Gay marriage. Yes. That is the one area and in which think about we when have gotten he backed more it up. When he backed it up, right before the when election. When the tide was turning. He's yeah. like, uh, I need some gay votes. That's it. I need some liberal votes. I need people who support this. I don't give a damn for a gay marriage, but yeah. politically it'll work for me. That's right. Uh, he touts the fact that the stock market has doubled. And I ask you this question because I saw an article, uh, a friend of mine on Facebook was sharing this the other day, and it was that the bond yield, the government bond yield in Europe, in several countries, has turned negative. You pay for the privilege of lending money to governments in Europe right now. I'm not sure what it is here in the United States, but I suspect that the bond yield is low. So where else do people have to put their money? They're not getting anything on CDs, right? 
Loans don't pay anything. Interest rates are in the tank. So if you have any hope of growing money and you're not doing it yourself in your own business, it can only go in the stock market. No doubt. I mean, of course the stock market has doubled. There's no other place to put your damn uh, money. Anything credit. Anything <laughs> I mean, credit for that. Thing. So, I mean, at least, at least that is my non-expert economic analysis. No, but I'm saying where, right. where the hell do people put their money? Right. It, it doesn't mean anything. Uh, and then, of course, he threatens, you know, okay, we've got this great economy, so we can't – we can't put our economy at risk with government shutdowns or fiscal showdowns. How many Americans if, are out of work? No, I know. I mean, but, but, but I mean, as if a government yes. shutdown is going to slow down our economy, it is not going to have a single negative effect no. on our economy. Fiscal showdowns, it actually means that Republicans care about not stealing more money from us. This is what we want. So he, But he's trying. He's trying to cast it this way, right? He's trying to grab and, you know, create the terms of the debate because he's got this undivided attention of the American people. And that's the power of it. Yeah. We cannot refight past battles on immigration. I mean, first of all, I think we do need to have a more open immigration policy. But if he thought, you know, he fought a battle, he didn't fight a battle. He pulled out his pen and a phone. He said, let's see if I can get away with this. So he says, if there's any bill that tries to undo what he just did unilaterally with a pen and a phone, he's going to veto it, which is completely the wrong procedure. Um, and then he says, well, you know, we can't just have this idea of let's not screw up the economy. He says, we need to do more. To screw it up? He, yeah, he says, let's do more to restore the link between hard work and growing opportunity now, for every American. When we think of hard work, we think of Obama and his fellow leftists. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what we think of when we think of hard work. He, he doesn't believe that. Right. At and, all. I mean, and, and if, if you want more opportunity or – heaven forbid, more money or more profits to be the result of hard work. Yes, get out of the way. That's what the government needs to do is get out of the way and just protect our rights, which is something it can't seem to get around to doing because it's too busy making these things. And, And why do we have to do this? Why do we have to do more, have government do more? Why? Because families like Rebecca, you know, this anecdote that he talks about families like Rebecca still need our help need of course is the standard for Barack Obama we must help families get ahead according to him everyone has to get a fair shot well I'm I'm trying (laughs) Um, and then he says we don't we don't just want everyone to share in America's success now I love the way he structures the sentence no this is the sentence he says we don't just want everyone to share in America's success we want everyone to contribute mm-hmm. to our success now he puts the clauses in the relation that they do because he wants you to take for granted that we you know everyone's going to share in the success you just take for granted that we all have to share in it regardless of whether some but, will work know, hard some won't we, but we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll all benefit we want you to actually contribute now you know, what John Allison also said yesterday, you know, and I've heard him say this a few times, you cannot make the average great, yeah. but you can make the great average. Absolutely and right. that is what Obama seeks to do with yep. pretty much everything that he's doing here. We want people to feel more secure. That means helping folks afford child care. College, health care, a home, a retirement. You know, he says Rebecca doesn't want handouts, but everything that he lists here. He has handouts in mind. Um, he says he's going to lower the taxes of working families. Fifty percent of the people in this country don't pay taxes. Another statistic I got from John Allison yesterday. If 50 percent don't pay, okay, 
lowering their taxes means giving them tax credits, which means giving them money as handouts. And then he cites the fact that during World War II, I guess there was a limited period of time where men go to war, women go to work, and our government provided universal child care. I was not aware of this. And now he wants us to be. But now, you know, let's just behave as if we're in wartime all the time, and let's have it now. He says, you know, having both parents in the workforce is now an economic necessity for many families. Hmm, why is that? Because you, big government status, have created a failing economy, and both families have to work. So now he says we need affordable, high-quality child care. And this is his, his other reason for not defeating the enemy also, to, to maintain the welfare system. Of course. Further. Well, and, and, you know, 1984, Orwell's novel yeah, was so eloquent about that, that the idea is to keep all of us just impoverished enough. Yeah. So that with a fear of attack also. Well, the fear of attack, but impoverished enough so that we're always desperate for what government, what little government is going to give yep. us. And this is criminal. This idea that our government has sucked the sustenance out of the economy to such an extent that both parents must work, and therefore they have to send the kids off to childcare. They can't really afford childcare, so of course it's going to be government-provided childcare. So that the government can have a hand in indoctrinating your children. So, yeah, both parents work. They want both parents working. Why? Because they want your kids from an early age so they can mold them into good little Obama bots. That's what they want to do. Um, So, yeah, they want to give government-subsidized indoctrination. He's proposing a, quote, new tax cut of up to 3000 per year per child. You know that'll mean a credit, yes. therefore a subsidy. Again, 50% of the people don't pay taxes. Um, then he talks about the fact we, we're the only advanced country uh-huh. on earth that doesn't guarantee paid sick leave and other benefits. You know, again, We're also the only country that has a, the First Amendment and, and so on and so yeah, on. We're going. Yeah, the only advanced country. So he's appealing to the authority here of all the other, quote, advanced countries. Therefore, we should do it. So he says this is, this is the new way for Obama to use his pen and the phone. You want to hear what he's going to do? He says, I'll be taking new action to help states adopt paid leave laws of their own. So you can't get Congress to do it. I'm just going to go around and strong arm with whatever little slush fund or whatever I have all the states to further enslave employers, tell employers on what terms they can contract with their employees. Would it be good for employers to have good sick leave benefits for their employees? Sure. But you leave the free market to decide and... Otherwise, if you force this on everyone, you're going to make everything more expensive for everyone. You're going to take more wealth out of the economy. Um, He wants to pass a law that makes sure a woman is paid the same as a man for doing the same work. Ridiculous, as I understand that whole thing has been diffused. I didn't even bother to fact check it. You can look at it yourself. But again, force employers to contract terms that they wouldn't otherwise agree on. Uh, Minimum wage he wants to do, of course. The executive orders and the memorandums. So now he has two different things that he does, and maybe a third or fourth, who knows, under different names. Executive orders under different names. Uh, He wants to strengthen rather than weaken the unions. Again, that means put a government gun (laughs) behind whatever bargaining power workers would already have if they just voluntarily got together on their own. You put a government gun behind that. You force employers to deal with them in a certain way. That's what he wants to do. He wants to do more of that. And he says, these 
ideas are going to make a meaningful difference in the lives of millions of families, because that's what all of us, Republicans and Democrats, guilt, 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 Republicans, we were sent here to make a difference. Uh, We're going to help Americans upgrade their skills. Translation, steal money from some people to pay for training for other people. We need to up our game, you know, because he's the sport president. He's the president of sport. Yeah, he he looks so athletic. I mean, he really looks so athletic. Um, And then, you know, he's a man. Look at him. Right, right. He announces the big thing. He's going to lower the cost of community college to zero. Woohoo, right? So, and then, and then it. In order to try to get people behind this, he does a little appeal to authority. Bipartisanship is a way of appealing to authority. He says, look, Tennessee, a state with Republican leadership, and Chicago, a city with Democratic leadership. Hmm, you think it was your buddy, Rahm Emanuel, in Chicago? But anyway, they've both offered free community college. What I do say to these Republican leaders, states, politicians who have bought in on the progressive agenda damn you for giving food for this. I mean, obviously, it's an appeal to authority. It's totally meaningless anyway. But I hate giving Barack Obama any piece of, quote, evidence for his appeals to authority. He says, he says, I want to work with this Congress to make sure that those already burdened with student loans can reduce their monthly payments so so that student debt doesn't derail anyone's dreams. So they borrowed this money, and then he just wants to have it forgiven. And I ask, at whose expense? Anyone who pays taxes, anyone who has any money. And then we hear for the first time, I've never heard of this before, Vice President Biden has a update to the job training system. The job training yeah. system? Yeah. Connecting with community colleges like and bad, local employers. Writing. We're training people, blah, 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 blah. And then he says, tonight I'm also asking, I love when he says ask, right? He's, there's this implicit threat behind every time he's asking. He says, I'm asking more businesses to follow the lead of companies like CVS and UPS he's and offer more educational benefits and paid apprenticeships. The gun is he, asking. He's asking. Yeah, yeah, the gun is asking. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> you know what? Can you have that cartoon? Yeah. Just have a big hey, old gun. Uh, what do you I'm think, asking uh, yeah. you. Yeah. 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 Um, then he talks about veterans, you know, uh, quality uh, programs to help hire veterans, which I'm all in favor of, but I'm not in favor of, you know, having government force people or, you know, a government paid program that does this. There are private companies um, that actually do this. Uh, Sharp Decisions, I believe, does a veterans program. You can check that out back east if you are interested in hiring veterans for tech jobs. But um, I'm all for this being voluntary, not government subsidized or pushed in any way. The other thing, he, he a total joke. He says, we've made strides towards ensuring that every veteran has access to the highest quality care. We're slashing the backlog. Remember the whole scandal? He doesn't give any stats, yeah. not at all. And he says, as we better train our workers, we need the new economy to keep churning out high-wage jobs. That's the economy's job, is just to churn out high-wage jobs. Just the jobs. He wants high wages for people. Producing cool things? Nah. Just high wage jobs. And then he talks about the fact that, you know, there's a lot of jobs that didn't even exist twenty years ago. And he says jobs at companies like Google and eBay and Tesla. He said and there'd be many more if it wasn't for me in government. It, well, exactly. And I say, look, you know, you're gonna cite Tesla, but tell me, Barack Obama, what have you done 
to help Tesla escape the government-protected monopoly of car dealerships that have prevented, in certain states, I believe like New Jersey, Tesla from selling direct to consumers. Why can't a new, innovative, quote, green energy automobile manufacturer in the United States sell cars directly to consumers? Why is that not legal? How many jobs have you destroyed by not using your pen and your phone and your strong arm and the blah, blah, blah? Why not do that? Why not actually help create jobs? Uh, he says, you know, middle class economics, he keeps talking about over and over. Middle That's, class. This is middle class. And is middle, that, middle class economics, from? middle class economics, yeah, is, is he wants everybody to be in the middle. Again, it's, you know, John Allison said, you cannot make the average great, but you can make the great average. Yeah. He wants everybody to you be there the in the middle class. He says it's about building the most competitive economy anywhere. Again, government cannot build an economy. All it can do is protect rights and otherwise get out of the damn way. <sighs> then he starts talking about the needs of 21st century infrastructure. 21st century business needs 21st century infrastructure. This is another appeal to authority. Or, that is such 17th century language. I mean, it's, it's, right. like, it's like, this is it. Right. It's right. so updated. No, it isn't. And the, it's the same you know, crap for, for centuries. And, the, and then he tries to say, you know, Democrats and Republicans used to agree about infrastructure. And he says, you know, he puts a little kind of the jab at the Keystone Pipeline. Let's, yeah. let's set our sights higher than a single oil <laughs> pipeline. You see the way he dismisses yeah. that? The value? Yeah. If, if it's such a little thing, <laughs> why not just sign yeah, the why damn do you oppose thing it? and let why, it Why do everything within your power to oppose it? It's nothing. Yeah. And, and why, why take credit for fossil fuel development in the United States when you've had absolutely nothing to do with it and all you've done is stand in the way? He has a fossil ideology. I mean, I'm, that's what he lives by. This fresh, new 21st century? BS. I'm on page seven, <laughs> for those of who are counting. How many? 14, sorry. Here we go. Um, uh, I'm going to go draw. No, you're not. The infidel. No, you're not. Let, let, let me keep zooming. Okay. okay. This is ominous. He asked Congress to give him, quote, trade promotion authority. Trade promotion. So he wants more authority than he's had before to make so-called trade deals with other countries. So, you know, he's, he's like, look, I don't have Congress. I don't have the Senate. So come on, guys, What's please give me this. So, so he thinks that he can talk them into giving him this extra authority to make trade deals on his own around the world with his pen and phone. And the way he's going to get everyone to agree to it is he's going to say, I need to protect American workers. I'm going to make strong new trade deals. You wouldn't want China to beat us, would you? Mm -hmm. Right? We're actively looking. We're actively looking to bring jobs back from China. So just give me more power and I can do it. Mm -hmm. Why? Because competition. I'm the sport president. We're going to win competition, right? Try to get everybody riled up about this. And then he says, 21st century businesses will rely on American science and technology. Yeah. Uh, We need to have a new era of medicine, one that delivers the right treatment at the right time. The right time. So another new ominous sounding initiative. Listen to this. It's called the Precision Medicine Initiative. You're not going to give any details because he doesn't want to scare you. But listen to this. He says, this is going to bring us closer to curing diseases like cancer and diabetes. You're scared of cancer and diabetes, so you should be in favor of this. And he says, we're going to give all of us access to the personalized information we need to keep ourselves and our families healthier. In other words, 
let's keep all of your health information in that big fat database and we'll see that we are consolidating with all of your financial transaction information from the consumer watchdog thing and then of course the NSA is still collecting all the bulk metadata and we're not stopping that anytime soon it's just a big old and we know how you vote so we're not, you don't need it right now that that surgery need you don't need it right now because we know how you vote okay. he said he's going to protect a free and open internet which he wants to regulate a as free a public and open utility isn't it free yeah. and open now it's free and open. Yeah. Now. yeah. No. He, he's going to protect it by regulating yeah. it as a public utility. Then he says he wants to extend the Internet's reach to every classroom, telescreens for indoctrination, yes. and every community, more telescreens, more indoctrination. Um, and then he, listen, you know, again, the sports stuff. I want Americans to win the race for the kind of discoveries that no, are doesn't. going to unleash new jobs. Uh, that's lying his ass off. He says, convert sunlight into liquid fuel. Like, convert sunlight. No. I mean, seriously, did, did anyone see any uh, needles in his, I mean, was he shooting up, I mean, on the stage? I mean, seriously, when he was saying that, was he shooting up literally? <laughs> I don't know. That is, can, can you repeat that? Yeah, converting sunlight into liquid fuel. <laughs> he, he wants us to spend <laughs> money that we don't have to create something on a that, new yeah. type of energy development. And why? He, why? A... Because competition, we have to win the race. And what's the race according to Barack Spend more Obama? money, win the race. Spend more I money, mean, win the race. He only speaks about one race. I mean, it's you know, race, racism. <laughs> Rob Abier in the chat room over here at Blog Talk Radio says, the right medicine in the right time. Didn't doctors used to do that by yeah. making house calls? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Personalized house calls. When's the last time charts, that happened? Paper I mean, charts, no computer. When's the last time that happened? I mean, seriously, it's like, unless you're probably incredibly wealthy. But that was a, that was a thing. That I was, was like, wow. That was wonderful. Um so he says, you know, the truth is when it comes to issues like infrastructure and basic research, I know there's bipartisan support, but, you know, the problem is just to pay for these things. And he says, as Americans, we don't mind paying our fair share of taxes as long as everybody else does, too. And I say speak for yourself because whatever you say, the fair share is. You know, but he all the time he's trying to guilt these yes. statist, croniest Republicans. And it works into going along with him. He's trying to guilt these status cronious Republicans into going right along with him. And it works. Um, he says, for far too long, the lobbyists have rigged the tax code with loopholes. They've riddled it with giveaways that the super rich don't need. Give away. Leave it to a president in the United States in 2015 to discuss Letting someone who is productive and wealthy keep more of his money and call that a giveaway. That is 1984 doublespeak if I've ever heard it. And, you know, Obama, there is a solution if you really want to get rid of the so-called loopholes and stuff. Do what Ted Cruz has proposed and get rid of the IRS. Have a flat tax, loopholes gone, and then you don't have politics dictating how people spend or accumulate their money. What 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 government cuts did he uh, discuss here? I mean, which ones? Just, yeah, zilch. Uh, what? Zilch. Zilch. We have oh. to do more. So expand the government. We must build. And expand the economy. And expand freedom. And, right? We have to win the race. Well, actually, he doesn't use the word Competition. freedom. Competition. China's going to beat us. <laughs> don't let China and, beat us. And China, who yes. we have mortgaged yes. our souls to. Don't and let, don't let them beat that. us. You know what? He's right. You know what? you got to give it to him. He's right. And this is super ominous. Super ominous, people. Go look at your retirement accounts and figure out what the hell to do because listen to this. If Obama gets his way and the Republicans go along, it's going to be disgusting. Hopefully, at least the Republicans can hold out and prevent this. He says, 
let's close the loopholes that lead to inequality, inequality, inequality. by allowing the top 1% to avoid paying taxes oh. on their accumulated wealth. Accumulated. Now, here's the translation. The top 1% or rich people, to them, rich is anybody over 250000 a year. Which is Barack Obama going. Yeah. I mean, accumulated wealth, he means your retirement account. Yes. He your wants excess. To, your excess wealth. He wants to tax your retirement account. Yep. That's what he means by, you know, we can't let the top 1% avoid paying we taxes can, on their accumulated yes. wealth, right? Um, and then he says, we can use that money. Mm, He's the like, government. It's, it's our money. It's sitting in your bank account, yeah, but, but really yeah, but, it's our money. Yeah, we can use it yeah, you know, to help family. families. We're going to help no, families. but we're all one family. Oh, we are. So therefore, yeah. you just take his relative's money. That's right. right? Mm-hmm. And then he says, you know, we can do this. You know, Americans are trying to get a leg up in the new economy. We can achieve that together. Translation, we can steal it together. We can <laughs> right. come. And know, if we all steal together, then it's not really theft. Well, it's just helping. And and another thing that John Allison pointed out yesterday is all of this stuff that he talks about, you know, all you got to do is tax the top 1% more and everything will be solved. There is not enough money. And, and Bill Whittle did an excellent video talking about the fact that if even if you taxed at totally confiscatory rates the top 1%, you wouldn't have right. enough money to pay for half the stuff he's talking about right. here. It is ridiculous. It'll be just it'll, it'll be just as if a politician who who, who most of this kind of crap gets mugged on the on on the street mm-hmm. and see how he reacts to that because that is a that is an absolute crime. You walked up with a gun and you took my money, but they can do it with a law and it's all good. It's all good. You know, we can good. achieve it together. Yeah, we can, we can rob your together. ass off together. We can rob the one percent together. Woo-hoo. And if we do it together, then it's then it's moral. Oh, if you do it individually, definitely. it is a crime and you'll go to jail. Definitely. Um, then he goes into foreign policy. Smarter kind of American leadership. Combine military power with strong diplomacy. Just, My policies I'm make sorry. a difference. And I'm saying ISIS, hello, ISIS just released their deadline. Then he says, we stand united with people around the world who have been targeted by terrorists. Um, and then he says, from a school in Pakistan to the streets of Paris, I remind you that all we sent to Paris was a gift box of dog poop, and it was late. Did they hang up? Did they hand out tums before the talk? They in must. the in the Congress. I, I think something way stronger. Actually, just pot. Why not pot? Yeah. That would make them all right. Uh, he talks about how we've trained the security forces in Afghanistan. Yeah, allow yeah, them to hit yeah, our yes guys. Train them better to kill us. Um. He says, we've honored our troops' sacrifice by supporting Afghanistan's first democratic transition. Who the hell cares? So we honor our troops who have died in serving the cause of supporting our republic, right? Our constitutional republic. For some and we honor it by, yeah, by allowing them to vote for tyranny and Sharia in Afghanistan, right? He says we're partnering with these other nations to make sure that there's no safe haven for terrorists. But I'm thinking ISIS. ISIS is still there. Uh, He says in Iraq and Syria, American leadership is stopping ISIL's advance. He said that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Really? Yeah. Uh, You know, we're going to have this coalition and we're going to degrade and ultimately destroy this terrorist group. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then he says we are going to assist people everywhere who stand up to the bankrupt ideology of 
Violent extremism. Violent extremism? Never, That's the ideology. No, no, word of men, no mention of Islam. And he loves the ISIL acronym because yes, then he, he does. doesn't even have to say Islamic yes, anything anywhere in his speech. Yep. He wants Congress to pass a resolution to authorize the use of force against ISIL, but of course a resolution that he would actually sign and put into play probably has a slush fund for everything else in it. It's probably not going to be a clean bill. If there was a real one that they were actually going to use force against these guys, okay, great, do it. Well, but we've been at war with with ISIS for how long now? Yeah. For for a while. If we were serious, they would have been wiped out by now. There's a there's a determination not to wipe them out. Exactly. There's a plan not to do anything about them. He touts, you know, his deal with Cuba that now, you know, removing the embargo and stuff would ex- uh, stand up for democratic values. Democratic values. Mm-hmm. And uh, he says how Pope Francis, you know, says that you are going to take small steps on the road of diplomacy. It's the work of small steps. And, of course, our Pope now is probably more friends with someone like Obama oh, yeah. than any of the, He's the prior uh, Obama's Pope. And he makes a big spectacle of Alan Gross is back here in the United States. As I understand, there are a lot of political prisoners still in Cuba. So you can have a dog and pony show, but it doesn't mean anything. He says our diplomacy is at work with respect to Iran. Yeah, Iran. And, yeah. There's murdered Americans. And he says, diplomacy. he says for the first time in a decade, you know, he wants to say before his presidency, We've halted the progress of its nuclear program yes. and reduced its stockpile of nuclear material. If you go to my blog at DontLetItGo.com, I have a link to a Washington Post story that debunks it's that a lie. assertion. Yeah. They say, oh, well, maybe technically they don't have as much uranium enriched at 20%, but it's almost there, and it's a bunch of garbage. And they're lying so, to us. Yeah. They're saying, oh, yeah, yeah, we're not doing it. And we, how, many, how many billions have we given them? Billions of dollars. Oh, I mean, it's. To a terrorist state. You know, and then and then he says, if Congress passes sanctions, if we have sanctions, it's going to make sure our diplomacy fails. I'm going to veto. I'm going to veto. We have to work together, but I'm going to veto any new sanctions bill that's going to undermine the progress. Now, let's listen to what he has to say about privacy. He says, now we're looking beyond the issues that have consumed us in the past. And this is what he says. He says, no foreign nation, no hacker should be able to shut down our network, steal our trade secrets, or invade the privacy of American families. The way he does with us. American families, <laughs> especially our kids. Just especially our kids. So listen, he, he invokes the children, right? <laughs> so so the foreign nation and the hacker should not, but we can monitor and collect saying, everything. You know, a foreign nation yeah. shouldn't do it to you. We should. Right. And we will, and we are. Right. So they, we won't let them do it to you. So listen, we'll so, do it to you. So listen, he, says, he says, we're making sure our government integrates <laughs> intelligence to combat cyber threats. See, they're the bad guys. Don't watch what we're doing Don't here. They're the bad guys. Yeah, we're good. integrating. We're integrating your health information. We're integrating everything that we collect off the web. We're integrating all of your telephone metadata, even some of we your phone calls. What, what right? You know, they have those those stingray cell towers, those phony cell towers, and they incidentally collect a whole lot of our conversations. And they're allowed to keep that stuff now because of, you know, Bill 4681, Section 309. It's an incidentally collected uh, conversation, and we can keep it for up to five years. And that limit doesn't even start for two more years. So he's collecting it all. He's keeping it all. We're we integrating it we to combat We won't let them do to you what threat. we're doing to you. That's right. All right. If anybody's going to screw you over, it's going to be us. Exactly. 
<laughs> and he says, tonight I urge this Congress to finally pass legislation we need to better meet the evolving threat of cyber attacks, combat identity theft, and protect our children's information. Again, invoke the children. He's trying to get us to 1984, and he's invoking the children, protect the children. He says, if we don't act, we'll leave our nation, our economy vulnerable. If we do, we can continue to protect the technologies that have unleashed untold opportunities for people around the the globe, and we can beat China. No, he didn't say that there, but, you know, it's all about the competition and opportunity. But it's not. And save the children. Yeah, save, save the children. Then he talks about, you know, oh, we're doing all this great stuff to protect us from Ebola. And then he says, we need a more effective global effort to prevent the spread of future pandemics, invest in smart development, and eradicate extreme poverty. So he starts talking about Ebola, and he just kind of tacks on some more social welfare programs for other countries, not even ours. Spend more money we don't have for other people, and it's all because Ebola, but not really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in Asia and the Pacific, we are modernizing our alliances. Again, 21st century, yeah. modern. With it, he has a rotten old ideology that he follows, yeah. you know, politically speaking. At oh, least. yeah. No, it's it's just completely outdated, outworn. People call him communist, but, you know, he was raised by Muslims and communists, so he's a fusion, and also he's nihilist. So it's old, disgusting, totalitarian ideas that he's trying to sell us something new and yeah. fresh. Now, now listen to this, and, and this will not surprise you. He says, no challenge, no challenge poses a greater threat to future generations than Some lie. climate change. Of course, <laughs> yeah, of course. Lie. The climate is changing. Wait, there's, there's, there's a lie. Climate change. Climate change. No challenge poses a greater threat to future generations, right? He can now, say that now, because it's not true. Well, no, but he is that, you know what I mean? Whenever he is adamant about something... It's the absolute biggest lie that he tells whenever he's completely 100% about something. Right, right. And in a second, we'll talk about how he tries to back it up, which is full of nothing. But really, what is the biggest challenge, the biggest threat to future generations right now? Statist government. Yes, absolutely right. Like that, that he keeps trying to push forward. That yeah. is the biggest challenge. It's not even groups like ISIS and anything else, it is a status government. Yep. And then he talks about, you know, there's evidence for climate change, blah, blah. And then he says, the best scientists in the world are all telling the us best. that our activities By are changing the, the climate. Yeah, that, that our activities are changing the climate. And if we don't act forcefully, we'll continue to see rising oceans, longer, hotter heat waves, dangerous droughts and floods, and massive disruptions that can trigger migration and conflict and hunger around the globe. Now, how do you define the best scientists? Those are obviously the ones who tell him what he wants to hear. But it, I figure at least he's honest here, right? Because he says, if we don't well, act forcefully, if we don't act forcefully. And he is. He's going to use force, if possible, to change our behavior yeah, but, and not let us consume the yeah, fossil but, fuels that make our lives better. Yeah, but to, to what end? To destroy this thing as that's the most dangerous threat what I'm saying, it's an oh, yeah. no, no, honest no. thing his, in the path of life. Exactly. His his language when he's talking about climate change is all military. Yes. Act forcefully, combat. We, yes, we but, will. But uh, when he's talking about real military uh, threats, yeah. it's all about diplomacy, coalition, By the way, uh, playing nice. Mr. Electable, yeah. or, uh, Mitt Romney, uh, is now talking about global warming, you know, yeah, some no. serious threat yeah. here. No, exactly, exactly. And, and Obama comes in here, he says, he says, the Pentagon says that climate change poses immediate risks 
The, the to Pentagon. 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 Immediate risks to our national security. The Pentagon. I saw dozens. Al Qaeda doesn't. Uh, first of all, climate change projections are all way down the road. Okay, so how in the hell does climate change pose risk. an immediate risk to our national security? He paid them to say that. Why? Because he's commander in chief. Suck it. Yeah. Um, sorry. <laughs> He says, uh, and he says, this is why over the past six years we've done more than ever to combat climate change. Again, he uses this yes. military language when talking about the climate. You're absolutely right. Combat climate yep. change. So it, it's the whole, you know, the, the climate is a metaphysical fact. The fact that we need to use fossil fuels in order to support human life, that is also a, a fact. That's yep. something we're not going to change. So he. He's going to fight that. He's going to combat that military. But when you're talking about the real man-made evil in the world, ISIS, Iran, any of these countries, no, no, no. We It's coalition. It's yeah. diplomacy, right? Yep. Diplomacy with... Uh, Small steps. Would be nuclear terrorist state. Right, exactly. Um, he says, we've set aside more public lands and waters than any administration in history. Uh, yes, we know that, Barack Obama, and that's why you cannot claim credit for energy development in our country because it's been done despite of you, not because of you in any way, shape, or form. He says, I will not let this Congress endanger the health of our children by turning back the clock on our efforts. I'm determined, you know, blah, blah, pen and a phone alert. He says, I'm determined to make sure American leadership drives international action. International on climate, action. On climate change, yeah. And you know that's why he wants that trade authority, too, because I think he wants to put climate crap in the trade agreements. He says in Beijing, you know, we announced that the United States is going to double the pace at which we cut carbon pollution. And, and well, then he got China's China gonna to... Do co- what? China's going to... No, no, no. China said they'll emissions. say something. Well, yeah, yeah. They said they might do something. They said they will. Like Russia might might, might say. And we have to protect the one planet we've got. To think they're more rational than us. I mean, they are. In some ways. In some ways. Right now, definitely. Even even the UAE, even certain Muslim governments who go after ISIS and whatnot, they're more rational than us. And then he talks about the the one last pillar of our leadership, you know, with respect. Again, most of the energy on foreign policy, the so-called foreign policy part of his speech has been on climate change. But then he says, you know, the last pillar of our leadership in foreign policy is our values. We've prohibited torture. We are constraining drone technology use properly. I think Rand Paul might disagree there, but they can have that debate. Uh, We continue to reject offensive stereotypes of Muslims, the vast majority of whom share our commitment to peace. Really? Because he says, because now, they're not now, violent, they're peaceful? Because they don't act violently, they're all of a sudden peaceful, right? Well, and then how about the hundreds of thousands who the gathered millions. on the streets? Yes. No, 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 but I mean yes. recently. 800,000. Yeah, gathered on the streets of which country recently? Uh, I forgot the country. One Muslim country. It was yes. 700 or 800,000 800,000 protesting the, the cartoons. cartoons. Not the murders. Right. Not the murders of the cartoons. You do not share a commitment to peace if you go out on the street to protest cartoons and, that's a big question and to, to ask, cheer to ask the perpetrators of the Charlie. Muslims say, do you yeah. support, uh, um, you know, if, do you support people draw Muhammad? If they say no, they're not for freedom. No. They're not peaceful no. because then they sanction the violence against the cartoonists. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, we have a profound commitment to justice, and so therefore I'm going to keep trying to shut down Gitmo. 
He says, we've worked responsibly to cut the population of Gitmo in half. You mean like sending them off to Yemen where there's not a stable government and stuff like that? Yeah. He says, I will not relent in my determination to shut it down. So he'll, it's a determination. I don't know what he can do right now, but that's a pen and phone alert that he's going to try to do whatever he can. More on privacy. He says, as Americans, we cherish our civil liberties. Now, notice he puts it in the phrase of civil liberties, which means something given to you by the grace of government. (laughs) The idea that you would actually have a right to protect your privacy. Liberty, freedoms, no. Civil liberties, right. From government. No. It's, It's something given to you. But he says, as I promised, as I promised, our intelligence agencies have worked hard with the recommendation of privacy advocates to increase transparency and build more safeguards against potential abuse. Translation, we're still collecting all of your metadata, etc. All your personal data is belong to us, says Barack Obama. And it, it's not going anywhere anytime soon. I have a story that I got off Yahoo, and it basically says he's given up on the idea of even exploring any different way of collecting the data. You know, he said in his speech, oh, I'm going to have a committee look at this and see if I can still keep all my toys and let you have more privacy. Oops, I guess we can't. So, you know, and he, and he says, you know, we're, we're going to, he says, next month we're going to issue a report on how we're keeping our promise to keep our country safe while strengthening privacy. And the strengthening privacy is not going to be anything. They're still going to collect it all. It's still going to be all in that massive database. And they're just going to say, well, we won't look at it very much. It's all there. We're collecting it all. It's there. But, yeah, you know, we'll have all these rules. And, yeah, we'll follow the rules because we're so good. That's what the IRS did, right? Look to the future instead of the past, right? You know, he said, don't hold me accountable for all the crap I did. That's basically there. Um he talks about how you know the pundits are complaining that his presidency hasn't delivered on the vision of having a unified country versus the divided country than it is. He and Eric Holder have actively done things to make us more divided. But he says, I still believe that we are one people. This, again, is that primacy of consciousness thing. If I just say that I believe it, then we are. We are just one people. But, um, you know, as I said, the one area of progress, and he did talk about it in the speech, is he says, I've seen something like gay marriage go from a wedge issue used to drive us apart to a story of freedom across our country. Uh, he was against still, it for yeah, years he was. and years. Until right now, like, so isn't it ironic that the only area of progress towards freedom <laughs> in the entire United <laughs> exactly States right. is one that Obama opposed? Yeah, and that he still opposes, but yeah. he's like, yeah, but politically it works. And here's the clincher, the thing that determines everything else, which is the overall philosophy that he promotes, wants everyone to live by, that underlies every single proposal in this entire damn horrible speech. He says, so I know the good and optimistic and big-hearted generosity of the American people. generosity. Yeah, American people who every day live the idea that we are our brother's keeper and our sister's keeper. Sick. But the right, what argument did it have against him? And so he has, and, and so what he's saying is he's saying the American people out there, they've all had this philosophy droned into them, right? Drummed into them, excuse me. And, um, 
you know, he he's saying this to all of Congress. He's saying, you know, the American people out there, they all live according to this idea that we are our brother's keeper. And he says, I know the American people expect those of us who serve here, Washington, D.C., to set a better example. You need to act altruistically, too. Uh, He talks about, you know, how can all of us better reflect America's hopes? Hope, hope. Hope is just a little bit better than despair, says my grandmother. Google that and you'll find my uh, blog post on that. Um, you know, he talks about, you know, oh, isn't it horrible that we always have to look over our shoulder at how the base will react to each of our decisions. You know, forget the base, whatever your party is or stands for, you know, just, just, you know, do the right thing, do the, do the right thing. Betray the base, Mm -hmm. betray those that got you there. And, you know, the, the language he uses, he says, uh, a better politics isn't one where Democrats. A better politics. Yeah, this a, guy talking about. Yeah. It? A, he says a better politics isn't one where Democrats abandon their agenda, or Republicans simply embrace mine. He doesn't want them just to simply. He wants to pretend that you know they did something a little different than what he wants, right? You know, it, it, then it wouldn't be a real show. That it wouldn't uh, seem like there was actually two parties if the Republicans simply embraced it. Just mostly embrace it is good enough for him, right? We should debate without demonizing each other. You mean like he did in this speech, right? Um, but, you know, we have this mission of building America. This is this is the uplifting thing that he is presenting to the young people. He says, we need to spend more time lifting young people up with a sense of purpose and possibility, asking them to join in the great mission of building America. That is such crap. And I say, how about asking young people... Yes, you can have a sense of purpose and possibility, but it can be geared toward pursuing your own happiness. We will get the hell out of your way, Americans. your own happiness. Starting today, we're going to really cut. He, at the very end here, gets in a little jab to say, everybody should be able to vote. Don't check IDs. Ah, don't worry about fraud in 2016. Yeah. <laughs> um. He he thinks that he wants he, he wants to do what he believes is best for America. If you share the broad vision I outline, work with me. He says, I commit to every Republican here tonight that I will not only seek out your ideas, I will seek uh, to work with you and make this str- country stronger. But I'm going to veto everything that's well, substantive. Well, well, he knows the Republicans have no ideas, so yep. that's why he worked with them. And he says, we have to unite in a common effort to help our neighbors, whether down the street or on the other side of the world. Is altruism writ large. You don't matter. Other people matter. And, you know, you're supposed to basically let people know that you care about other people's kids as much as yours. Altruism through well, your kids are their kids. Yeah. This is, this, he says, I want our actions to tell every child in every neighborhood your life matters. <laughs> and we are committed to improving your life chances whoa, 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 whoa. as on, committed as we are to working on behalf of our own hold kids. On. This is the Black Lives Matter guy. That's the Black Lives Matter guy. Him, mm-hmm. Eric Holder, and the other Hex. He doesn't care whoa. as long the as you're Black willing Lives to matter. sacrifice for other people. Once he gets you ready to sacrifice for others, then he just has to change the yeah, target of the other each week. He could be saying, you look at all your children. No, he's looking at Black Lives. Black Lives Matter. And he endorsed that. By not saying anything against it. So those, my friends, were... Oh, are we done? We are done. Those are the lowlights of this disgusting, propaganda-filled speech. Let's hope, and I, I have to say hope there because we're dealing with John Boehner. Let's hope that he, and it's McConnell, right? McConnell's there too. He didn't get 
voted out? No, he should have. Man, that just damns the Republican Party. It really does. The fact that these two hacks are their leaders. Let's hope that they can resist them. it. Let's hope that they can resist uh, it. Do you want to put the tale of two tweets on? Oh, yeah. We should, we should do a tale of two tweets. Amy thought about this idea, a tale of two tweets. So here's one tweet. Um, the, the overall story is that the Saudi king died. Yes. So. Yes. Okay, you're you're revealing the (laughs) slant. So here are two tweets discussing the same story, which I I think are very telling. Do you want me to see if I can find them? Yeah. Okay. I I I have one of them. Okay. Whose do you have? Okay. Let me just read it and then say who it is. King Abdullah was a man of wisdom and vision. King Abdullah, the uh, religious dictator of Saudi Arabia, one of the greatest dictatorships on earth, second greatest state sponsor of jihad terrorism on earth. Uh, 15 and 19 hijackers and 9-11, etc., etc. They create ISIL, they fight ISIL, blah, blah. King Abdullah was a man of wisdom and vision. The U.S. has lost a friend and kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Middle East and world has lost a revered leader. And that is? John John Kerry. Kerry. John Kerry. Okay, so he is representing the United States around the world. Now, listen to this tweet. Good riddance to a medieval savage who presided over the most barbaric regime on earth. I wish they'd all drop dead. <laughs> and guess who that was? That was Pat Condell. So, the great comedian. In order to get a true sense of what's going on in the world, you have to go to a comedian from a foreign country. <laughs> if right. you think you're going to look at the leadership of our own country, forget it. Just not going to happen. And you know, you saw a picture with uh, Kerry and and the king recently, and you saw Kerry's face. I mean, his mask was smiling more than ever. And you think about how at home he felt with pure evil. I mean, he felt completely at home. I've never seen him that. I mean, disgusting rat. It's it's truly revolting. Check out this one cartoon I have, and it's called uh, Botox and Stein. I should (laughs) I said it before, but but check it out. That's my one cartoon of him. Boston.blogspot.com for all of your political cartoon catharsis needs. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, go go ahead and talk about this for a second or two because I think after doing that whole shredding, I'll I'll just take a minute and then we'll start talking about some privacy issues in a a second. So you go ahead and... and Okay, so this uh, liberal Muslim, quote-unquote, comedian, uh, Asif Manvi, who, uh, quote-unquote, interviewed me for The Daily Show a couple years ago, but actually... 2011, um, has is trying to create a show to deny the reality that Muslims are a problem, to pretend that Muslims are all good and there's no problem with anything having to do with Islam. And it's called something about, um, what do you call it, uh, Halal in the Family. It's, it's supposed to be a runoff off of the uh, All in the Family. And here's his pitch on Indiegogo for the uh, TV show. Oh, you need the volume, right? Here we go. So here we go. I hope it works for you. Hi, I'm Asif Manvi. Do you hate Muslims? No? Great! Then I have just the project for you. It's called Halal and the Family. And it's a sitcom parody about an all-American Muslim family. Kids pick on people who are one day going to rule the world. Steve Jobs, Bill Gates. Barack Obama. That Muslim guy? (laughs) So we've raised enough money to shoot the series. 
But now we need your help to finish post-production and bring this to the people who need it the most. Need. No Muslim students coming here with visas. No more uh, mosques being built here until you stand up and denounce what's happened in the, ha- in, in the name of your prophet. People are afraid that they will be blown up by Muslims. Uh, radical Muslims, Islamists, whatever term you wish to use, they're afraid they will be blown up. So they looked at the Quran and said, grab a meat cleaver and hack somebody up. Fantastic. I think really? Ange, I think it's time for profiling because I the do. profile has been <laughs> Middle Eastern Muslims who have blown people up or attempted to blow them up. I've seen firsthand how effective satire can be in helping people think about this issue. Aren't you Muslim? What are you, my mother? Over the past year, I've been working with a coalition of organizations and individuals who care about combating anti-Muslim bias by developing halal in the family. Now we're reaching out to you to help us complete halal. We uh, we get the idea. So you know, again, when we were talking about a couple, I I guess it was just last week. Speaking freely was the show last week. Speaking freely. So I was talking about all the components in a culture and in government that we would rely upon to actually have a robust climate of free speech. And I would not want, you know, obviously I wouldn't do anything to prohibit it, but you would hope that in the culture we would not promote an ideology that itself stifles free speech. Um, But that's what he wants to do. This show will will say nothing about what motivates Muslims. It will say nothing about the fact that people are concerned about Muslims genuinely. Mm -hmm. It's not some Islamophobia. That's a BS term created by the enemy to try to shut down comments about Islam, to shut down the truth about Islam being spoken publicly. So this guy's out there with his propaganda thing, and he says a coalition, yeah, of leftists and Muslims and probably some religious hacks on the right who want to pretend that there's no problem here. There's no problem at all. It's a small minority of extremists, and that's it. And uh, it's, just, it's, it's unacceptable. And uh, I said, well, you know, what if Muslims, instead of lying about Islamophobia, fessed up to their Westernophobia and took responsibility for their reputation being in the toilet? How about that? How about, you know, have a show that says, you know what, we've really done nothing against, again, we can't argue against ISIS, and therefore we're going to admit that. And maybe we've got a real, real problem here. Instead, we're all good. You're the problem. Yeah, the only, and we're gonna make a the show only one that. is Sisi, right? The head of Egypt, yeah. who has really explicitly talked about the fact that Islam has who a problem. Is, but he also uh, endorses a lot of the crap, too. Uh, historically, he has. Okay. Now, he might change completely. I don't know. But uh, Andrew Boston wrote something for PJ Media to set, to set the record straight about Sisi and what he really believes. Okay. Because he's good and bad, and therefore he's bad, if he can be both. If you could have you know, somebody in an actual position of power, not Zudi Jasser, no. actually call for reformation, that would be nice. But again, it is, it it is, it is not our obligation to assist Muslims in their attempt to reform their religion. Our only concern is that these people don't pose a threat to us. And also, I mean, we should have complete freedom of association. We do not have complete freedom of association in this country. There are so many anti-discrimination laws that prevent you from deciding who to employ, rent your apartment to, whatever, that you could not, I mean, you, you basically are forced to, if you are in certain lines of business, deal with Muslims and other people that you might actually find distasteful, threatening, anything else. 
And one thing I, I don't see that going away anytime soon. It's, it's one of the problems. One thing I told Asif Manvi during that interview also that, that the cut was the, was the idea that a good Muslim by our standards is a bad Muslim by Islamic standards. Mm-hmm. And uh, the worst Muslim by our standards are the jihadists who are Islam's heroes. And when we had a moment alone after the whole shoot, uh, he said, well, come on, jihadists aren't Islam's heroes. I said, yes, they are. And then he said something else, so I tapped him on his shoulder, real condescending, I guess. I said, of course they are. I said, you know that. Right. And he had nothing else. And that, that, was the end, that, that was the end of the conversation. He's an ant, he's basically he's a, a non-Muslim Muslim. Doesn't, doesn't, he doesn't know anything about the religion. He said when he got the quote-unquote gig at uh, The Daily Show to be the, the, uh, the uh, token Muslim, he, you know, I think his father called him, you don't know anything about Islam. He goes, well, I'm just, you know, I'll go there and I'll, you know, yeah. So he is trying to come to us and say, I'm a Muslim. I represent Islam. You know Islam. what? It would be really fun to do an interview with him and then ask him if he's read the Quran and yes. then quote passages Absolutely to him right. and ask him what he thinks about See, it. With Muhammad's history, when right. he took the, uh, the uh, Quraysh um, and beheaded all of them, what do, you, what do you say about that? That's your prophet. Right. What do you have to right. say about that? So let, let's... Um, turn to privacy issues now because there's been a number of stories this week and thank you to those of you who have sent some of the privacy stories this week motive power on twitter sent me a couple stories uh ari armstrong also sent a story I, I think i had seen it before but thanks to those of you who do send them these privacy related stories the first is obama sides with cameron in encryption fight remember last week we talked about the fact that cameron wants to make encryption illegal in the UK. This is a story from the Wall Street Journal's blog, and it says, Barack Obama said on Friday that police, this is probably last Friday, that police and spies should not be locked out of encrypted smartphones and messaging apps, taking his first public stance in a simmering battle over private communications in the digital age. Apple, Google, and Facebook have introduced encrypted products in the, last, in the past half year that the companies say they could not unscramble even if faced with a search warrant. You mean you have to actually go to the person with your search warrant? <gasps> Heaven forbid. You mean you can't just get a company to turn over the data as part of business regulations? Really? Oh, that's horrible. It says this prompted vocal complaints from spy chiefs, the FBI, and this week British Prime Minister David Cameron. Obama's comments came two days after two days of meetings with Cameron and with the Prime Minister at his side. He says, quote, If we find evidence of a terrorist plot, see, terrorism, and despite having a phone number, despite having a social media address or email address, we can't penetrate that, that's a problem, Obama said. He said he believes Silicon Valley companies also want to solve the problem, quote, they're patriots. Now, as I understand, the phone is encrypted, but they can still get some things that are stored in the cloud and everything else. Um, Did we not play any of that last week? We didn't play Islam Has Nothing to Do with Islam last week? Oh. Well, that's actually my title, but... Oh, okay. Yeah. I do recommend people go check out Pat Condell's latest, by the way. Um, so privacy, privacy, not so much? I'm sorry. Yes. Okay. Sorry. Was... Basha's mind wandered, and he flashed me Pat Condell in the middle say, of me no, talking about I'm privacy. Sorry. My mind's a little fried Okay. after the first hour. It is flat out fried. I'm sorry. It's okay. I, I, we have to do a thorough shredding of Barack Obama know, every I, so I often, because we can't let him get right. away with this you, garbage. You're absolutely right, because yeah. some of us have to take the hit. And you did. Thank you. Factual inaccuracies, appeals to authority, appeal to altruism, to guilt Republicans into doing his crap. I mean, that was the summary, but, you know. um, And they have no argument. And and moreover, again, privacy going nowhere. So here is Barack Obama. 
He says he is basically wanting to put pressure on Apple and the other companies who are offering us encrypted products. And if you remember that House bill that they passed, 4681, that had Section 309 that Justin Amash was worried about, that Section 309 laid out, you know, that they can collect all these communications. And then it said they can, you know, the restriction is that they can keep them for only five years. But they can keep it for longer than five years. In fact, indefinitely, as far as I can tell from reading the legislation, keep it indefinitely if it's encrypted. So, you know, again, go out there, get your encrypted email account and put that Fourth Amendment in there, put Atlas Shrugged in there, put any, you know, the whole Constitution, the whole Declaration of Independence, put all that in encrypted form in those emails and then the NSA will store it forever and you don't have to use the acid-free paper in the desert to preserve it anymore. Um, but it, it is getting really scary. We are on the precipice in terms of moving very quickly towards 1984-style life. We're almost there. Now, I mean, I don't know. NSA is like on my webcam right now. Hi, guys. You suck. Um, actually, you don't suck. The leadership that's telling you what to do suck. But some of you suck if you're going along with this knowingly. How about that? Um we need to change this in the courts, and we need to do it this year before Obama and any stupid Republicans who might go along with him decide to make this a bipartisan effort to protect security, yeah. the children's information, as he said in his speech. Now, um, another the article that's from Motive Power, again, thanks on Twitter there, Motive Power, how Obama's hacking laws could make you a criminal. Remember he talked about having special laws to prevent hacking. So computer excuse me. La, 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 la. I, I worked hard that first hour. Computer security researchers computer security researchers say that twelve times fast. Fear President Barack Obama's proposed changes to federal hacking laws could put them out of business, could make computers less secure overall, which is what Snowden warned about, right? and could put some of them, maybe even you, in prison. Quote, under the new proposal, sharing your HBO Go password with a friend would be a felony, end quote. That is from Nate Cardozo, an attorney with the Electronic Frontier Foundation in San Francisco. He told an audience of researchers and IT pros this on Saturday, January 17th at ShmooCon, which I've not heard of before, some security conference, okay? Um Obama showcased the proposals in his State of the Union address. The changes to the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, first implemented in 1984, might make 1984, haha, might make many commonplace security research practices and media reporting on those practices federal crimes. Media reporting on those practices, me, what I'm doing right now, federal crime. Even sharing passwords for online accounts would be potentially punishable. How do you subject a population? You make it so that they are afraid that anything that they're doing at any moment could get them in big trouble. It looks like they're trying to take steps to do this. Again, I hope the Republicans are smart enough to see through this, that they aren't taken in by the language of, oh, protect the children's information. What do we got over here in the chat room? Uh, Edward Snowden is going to do a teleconference Q&A in Honolulu on Valentine's Day. Is there a question that I want him, uh, you, Stuart, to ask Edward Snowden? Yes, Stuart. We will talk about the question that I, the, the main question I want to know 
is whether Snowden thinks it's reasonable and that we should push for the Supreme Court to overturn the third-party doctrine. He has talked about the courts, you know, being a place where we could hopefully seek some redress from all of this government surveillance, but I have not heard Edward Snowden specifically talk about overturning the third-party doctrine. And when I tried to talk to Glenn Greenwald about it, he didn't react with anything at all. Most people, when I talk about actually eliminating the third-party doctrine, I think they think it's pie in the sky. But that is what we need to do. And actually, I've got a story on the list, the program notes for today, that shows a little bit of hope in in that direction. Uh, again, go to my blog at DontLetItGo.com for the links to all the stories that I mentioned today, including, if you want to read it for yourself, Barack Obama's State of the Union Address. Here is another privacy-related story. This one, like I said, thanks to Ari Armstrong. I had also seen it reported by Fox News myself. I actually happened to catch that when it was out on Twitter, but it doesn't always happen, so I do thank you for tagging me uh, when you're sharing these privacy-related stories. The headline is, Police are using new radar that can track you inside your home. New radar that can track you inside your home says, being used by the FBI, U.S. Marshals Service, and at least 50 other law enforcement agencies around the country, the Range R device provides a way for police officers to track people within a home using a Doppler radar system. Shaped similar to a stud finder that you would find in a hardware store, the device can track movements such as someone taking a breath up to a distance of about 50 feet. Say ideal for a drug raid, shouldn't be happening, or a hostage situation, okay, that's real. The device could potentially map out all people within a building and help the police make judgment calls on the best plan to breach. Now, why are we doing drug raids? Because drugs are illegal. Should drugs be illegal? No. So put that out there. Hostage situation. I have absolutely no problem with police using this technology in a hostage situation. If we are aware that somebody is holding someone by force inside a building, this is the perfect time for a tool such as this. So I'm not against the tool. What I'm against is what is going to be the probable use of a tool. They're probably going to say, well, you know, we weren't inside and we didn't get a real picture. It's just like those nudie pictures at the airport, you know. Yeah, we can tell what room you're in, but, you know, trust us with that information. Not really a search. According to the manufacturer, the device can penetrate wall materials that include, quote, poured concrete, concrete block, brick, wood, stucco, glass, adobe, and dirt. Interestingly, the device cannot track movements through a sheet of metal material and also has difficulty tracking people when being used against a water-soaked wall. So basically we need all to re-figure. you know, figure. If, if you really were manifesting an interest in privacy, you would have metal walls and or waterfalls on every wall of your home. Otherwise, you're just inviting the police to train this device on your home and track your movements. And, you know, what, what's the upshot? Okay, this device could be very useful in a hostage situation or any other exigent circumstance. Otherwise, they need a warrant on my view, to do this. Why? Because they're seeing personal information about you moving around in your home. A home is and should be a constitutionally protected area in Fourth Amendment doctrine. It is your property. 
your home is either a home that you've purchased or you own it or you have leased an exclusive right to live in that area and the police have no business being there, whether actually or virtually via a device like this, unless they have a warrant or they have an exigent circumstance like a hostage situation. Uh, I think it's a great development. It'd be, it's so useful. It'd be, you know, wonderful. Maybe this is how the, you know, the police in France were able to kill the two scumbags and free that one hostage, even though they weren't as lucky at the deli, but at the, you know, at the one site where they had the two guys, the two scumbags and one hostage, that's a horrible ratio. They killed both those guys and freed the one hostage. Maybe something like this goes into that. So, Great development, potentially abused if the Supreme Court isn't clear about. Someone in the chat room is mm-hmm. suggesting, I'm, I think about us, a position that we don't have. Which is what? Because I'm frankly flabbergasted how you talk about Republicans as if they're not on Obama's side. When have we said other, otherwise? When have we said otherwise? There is bitches. I've been talking about that. the fact that I hope that the Republicans will hold out against all of this. I and I say the word is hope. Yeah, there are individuals within the Republican it, Party who will who will fight it, and sometimes leaders out of shame would join them. But to suggest that we think actually, actually, that they're you know, not I, on I, think, I think I think he's not a longtime listener. He's misunderstanding really? me because people who have listened uh, for a long time know that I think hope is not a good thing at all. Yeah. So it's almost a, so, a sarcastic and, term. And I'll I'll explain it a little bit again. But you can you can see I've got a post at my blog at don'tletitgo.com where I talk about what my grandmother used to say, which is hope is just a little bit better than despair. Hope and despair are both emotions. Hope is maybe better because it's positive, but it is just an emotion. There's nothing to back it up. So if I talk about hoping that John Boehner and Mitch McConnell won't give in to Barack Obama on this whole list of goodies that Obama wants in order to throw us further towards statism. I, I say the word hope because I think that there's really nothing much to back up no. the idea. It's like I have this They're likely going to ride with them. Yeah, yeah. So, take us down. so I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not thinking that the Republicans, you know, the, the Ted Cruz and others who are fighting, whether their positions can win the day remains to be seen. So it really is in the realm of hope, which Look, is, in Barack my Obama terms, not much. has exposed the Republican Party as a status party. He's exposed them. They don't hate him. They envy him. That's, he, that's he, what he's done. He knows done. how to manipulate them, just play on their guilt. They're but, his bitches, yeah. flat out, and they've given him whatever he needs. We can't we can't destroy this great economy by the threat of a shutdown or some sort of standoff on fiscal matters, you know. He he's so bad. He's just really bad. So um so no, I am I do not pretend that the Republican leadership has any hope. There there are some better Republicans. There are individuals with the Republican Party who are mm-hmm. Tea Party who will fight. Some. And hopefully mm-hmm. they can get a little more prominence. And they won't be marginalized as much as they have been. Yeah, and they're doing that dance too, though. You know, because you know, it, 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 I mean, we can't write off the Republican Party completely because there's no fallback. They're the only opposition party, or potentially opposition, opposition party, to, what, I, to, what, to what's happening. You know, I know that Joe Sanders keeps talking about let's start a capitalist party, so yeah. it might be time to do something like that soon. If that sounds we, far-fetched. Look at the Republicans today. We might have to re- recruit Euron. We have no. Opposition oh yeah, party. Euron can never run for no. president though because he's. Yeah, but yeah. Obama was born. Uh, Michelle Obama said he was his homeland of Kenya. She said that, right? So, uh, Robert says, if you have no hope, you're not paying attention. 
this is all far, far from over. Yeah. No, I, I, I don't oh, think. No doubt about it. I, don't, I mean, I wouldn't even be talking right now if I thought it was. That's the thing. Over. Things look bad. Yes. And what are we supposed to do? Give up? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Not doing Never. it in the slightest bit. That's why we are here. But in terms of right now, what will the Republicans do between now and the time that Barack Obama is out of office? I am anticipating more damage. Yes. With their help. With their help. And that's it's tragic, but this is where we are. That's just kind of where I think it is, unfortunately. Um, but as I said, I, I think I do have some real optimism that the court can do something about privacy this year. So we talked about the new radar that can track you inside your home. Good tool, so long as it's used with a search warrant in the appropriate circumstances. And unless it's exigent, um, I would say, yeah, get that search warrant. Then listen to this. This is a story that combines my two, I would say, priority issues that I really like to talk about. One is education and the other is privacy. Do we have another comment here in the chat room? Just one worth worth noting. Mm -hmm. Ed Powell says, I mostly disagree. I think it's very close to over. But what's the alternative to fighting, you know, even if if it's hopeless? Now, think about what Ed's saying. I think it's very close to, to over. Even he has hope. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's not saying it's over. You know, Ed's not saying it's over. He He's Ed. He's not dead. You know what I mean? Ed's not dead. He's well, still alive. We're still speaking on this show right yes. now. But what I'm saying is he goes, I think it's very close to over. So he's not saying it's over. So there's hope. No matter what you're saying, Ed, you're saying there's still hope because it's not over. It's close to over, but it's not over. So you are still Ed. You're not the Ed. Okay? You know, it was interesting, and I was, I was telling Bosch about this before. So yesterday... At John Allison's talk, there were a number of liberals, and one woman I think actually referred to herself as a progressive. And John Allison criticized progressives as egalitarians throughout his speech. And it was interesting because she came up and she was, oh, you're mischaracterizing progressives. We're not really in favor of all that, you know. And he, he will tell you in principle exactly what egalitarianism means. It means, in effect, cutting Michael Jordan's legs off yes. so that he, John Allison, can be equal in basketball to Michael Jordan, you know, that whole joke. But, um, I mean, that's in principle what it means. Now, in practice, every person who would call themselves a progressive is in favor of government using force to equalize, whether they call it opportunities or outcomes. By opportunities, they usually mean free school and other stuff like that, right? Or some sort of affirmative action or who knows what it is. Um, they're all for using, and, and, and so, but this woman, she was very upset, you know, you're mischaracterizing. And then she tried to describe what she was in favor of. And she would use words like Obama does, you know, allow this, achieve that. And the, you know, they always hide the fact that what they're talking about is using the government to force some people to do stuff for other people, stuff that they wouldn't do otherwise, because it's their moral duty, according to them. And, there were, I think, a number of people in the room. You know, here's John Allison. He is a person who says, you know, I do not recognize, you know, the moral right of any of you guys to one minute of my life. You know, right? I mean, that's essentially what he said. He didn't say that exactly. But, right. you know, he's and he's urging these young law students in the room to all think about the idea. Don't you have just as much right to your own life as everybody else has to his life? And he clearly hit a nerve. And I think he did hit a nerve with some of these people because, They've been exposed. you know, the idea that here, 
are a number of people who actually think they have a moral right to their own life and their own pursuit of happiness. What? And, we, we can't have and that. he's speaking fairly eloquently, and he might be appealing and to some of the people in the successful. audience, and he's super successful. So it's like, wait a minute, and, we have nothing And our dean introduced him, which, oh my gosh, <laughs> you know, right. and she introduced him in a favorable way. Oh no! Yes. Somebody might be hearing these ideas and might actually and might, think they might actually think they have the right to the pursuit of happiness. That would be horrible. Absolutely right. You know. That's exactly. Um, I could just see that in some of the reaction a little bit here and there. Like, wow. Um, they can't fight against oh. that. In other words, no, but they can't fight against that. You know what I mean? They have no argument against that. It's like Republicans have no argument against Obama. Obama has no argument against. Uh, yeah. Rand, nothing. You know, and they want to call it democracy, and we all voted for this. And I'm mm-hmm. like, no, I, I don't, I don't not. vote for that. You know, um, when you actually say, no, I'm not in on your collective scheme to fleece the rich. Wow. So don't put it that way. Like, <laughs> yeah, they really, really can't stand you to identify what they're really up to. Motive power over here in the chat room. Oh, the worse great. the coming future, the more it should motivate its opponents. The worse the coming future, the more it should motivate its opponents. Yeah, Leonard, the, the, Leonard, uh, the, Leonard Pico. the John Allison talk was at Southwestern Law School up in Los Angeles, but he's also speaking today up in L.A., and then I think on Saturday there's a Federalist Society conference. So if you can get in on the Federalist Society conference on Saturday, I think you'd have still have a chance to see him in the – Southern California area. So let's let's get to. Wait, wait, did you hear about the deflated balls scandal? I thought it was having to do with uh, the, our foreign policy. Yeah, yeah, I thought it had to do with the foreign <laughs> policy. Now, not not with football. So there was some cheating by making a ball not have quite as much air in uh, it. Like a dozen balls, eleven balls, and, wow. uh, and 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 the and, and the quarterback is on record saying he likes deflated balls. I think his hands aren't big enough to really get a good grip. And oh. It was rainy, so he had a little edge. That's the word. But I don't know. I don't know. And Rush Limbaugh brought, brought up something. I, I can't listen anymore, but I do visit his website. And he said something about, look at the reaction to this. The integrity of the game. My God, the rule book has been there. And well, look what's happened to, to the Constitution. No one cares. No, no. It's getting torn to shreds. But people think they can have influence in sports probably in a way they don't think they can have influence in government yes. anymore. No doubt. So, I, you know, I, th- I think a lot of people are very... They're very cynical. They're very committed to, to sports also. I mean, really. So let, let, let's get to this story because it, it integrates two horrible things, which is government invading our privacy and doing it by means of government schools, government education. This is the headline from Reason.com. Illinois schools now have terrifying access to kids' social media passwords. To quell cyberbullying, administrators would abolish privacy. And this is an issue that comes up in all sorts of contexts. The idea of kids in government schools not having as much privacy, you know, because they're mm-hmm. minors and they're in government schools. So, for example, if a kid is truant, which in California is defined as missing three days without an appropriate excuse or missing three 30-minute different segments of classes without an appropriate excuse, then you're truant. If you're truant and a police officer sees that you're out and they suspect you're truant, then they have probable cause to search you and search your possessions and stuff. So if you're you know, a, a kid in government school under the, quote, jurisdiction of government schools, then you have less privacy. Hmm. So with that in mind, they think that then – 
keep this in mind too. It says, Illinois public schools have gained a worrisome new power over their students. A new law combats cyberbullying by giving administrators the right to demand access to students' social media accounts even if the online activities took place outside of school. It says, previously, administrators could only ask students for their Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram passwords if the kids were using these services to bully each other during school hours. But the new policy gives administrators nearly unlimited authority to violate students' privacy, quote, if a school has a reasonable cause to believe that a student's account on a social network contains evidence that a student has violated a school's disciplinary rule of policy, end quote. So... Obama says, you know, it's crucial that we protect our children's information from foreign governments and hackers. But apparently our children's personal information right. is not to be protected from our own domestic governments, state government at least. This is Illinois, probably, you know, done with some help from Mr. Rahm Emanuel, oh, no mover, mover and shaker in Illinois. This law took effect January 1st. It also technically applies to university students as well. And um, then there's an ominous link in this article. It says, I'm sure no university personnel would ever use such a law for nefarious purposes. They're saying, look, government employees do abuse whatever power is given to them. And yeah, your kids go to government schools, at least in Illinois, Good luck having any online privacy anyway, as if the NSA wasn't already gathering it all up and uh, and spitting it out. So abolish government schools, just another reason, one more reason to abolish government schools, that your children's privacy is not in your control. And, uh, you know, moreover, just basically protect privacy from our own government, not just foreign governments and hackers, as Barack Obama would have you do. Now, here is a ray of hope in the battle for actual privacy, legal protection of privacy in the United States. I've talked about it before. Right now, the way it is today, we share so much information using technology in our purchase transactions, where we drive with our little fast tracks on our car, all the social media, the email through our cell phones and how we use them. You know, Now we've got all these awesome little fitness trackers and stuff that we wear on our wrist and it tells all sorts of things about us. There's so much information that we share in little bits and pieces and we scatter it from this company to that company, the doctor over here and this over there. And government is increasingly by force integrating that information about us into huge databases under the guise of protecting our security or protecting evil creditors from abusing us with unfair credit terms on our credit, right? You know, consumer protection. All of these different pretexts for integrating all this information about us in a huge database. And the reason they can do this right now is because of the third-party doctrine. Again, third-party doctrine says once you share information with a so-called third-party not the government. I always think the government's like the three's a crowd. But no, the third party is Verizon or Facebook or Amazon or the fast track company, the toll road company, whoever it is. Once you share information with them, you no longer have 
does the court a reasonable expectation of privacy in it, no legitimate expectation of privacy, and therefore the government can grab it without a warrant. All Obama has to do these days is whip out the pen and the phone, and your information is his, and it can be consolidated into huge databases. So that's where we stand right now. What are your options if you want to legally enjoy both technology, you know, our, our specialized economy, our highly advanced society, which I love, all the convenience, all the information at our fingertips, all the ways to move money around with your cell phone, all the awesome stuff. What if you want to keep that and enjoy privacy at the same time legally? You can't do it right now. And the only way is to get rid of this third-party doctrine, which is completely wrongheaded and it was pretty much just laid right over into the legitimate business context without any explanation. It came over from the criminal investigate the mafia context, and they laid it right over into the legitimate business contract context without even a peep about the fact that they were dropping the context of criminal you know, investigation and stuff, um, criminal enterprise, criminal contracts, illegal contracts. They dropped that entire context. So what do we do? We get rid of the third-party doctrine. We discuss the real reason why we should be able to use secret agents to infiltrate the mafia, uh, which is that they're making illegal contracts. And then we can all enjoy privacy legally again. We can require government to use search warrants, to have probable cause, to have particularized suspicion when they get our information that we've shared with Facebook, Verizon, whoever. That's what we need to do. And the person who first kind of put this idea in my mind, I mean, she didn't do it directly, but indirectly, was Justice Sotomayor. Back in 2012, she wrote a concurrence in the um, 2012 case, and I'm trying to, it, it's U.S. versus Jones. I was almost blanking on the name. I'm so exhausted after Obama. But yeah, back in U.S. versus Jones, she called for a reconsideration of the third party doctrine in her concurrence. And now, today, we have this article. It's just from P.J. Tattler. It's a short article by Michael Walsh. Thanks, Bosch, for sending it over. It's in praise of Justice Sotomayor. And she's talking about Fourth Amendment privacy in a very different context. It's in the context of how long can an officer detain you during a traffic stop to have the drug-sniffing dog, like, sniff you and everything that you have for drugs because, you know, Finding drugs is the most important thing in the world. And it's not surprising that a liberal like Justice Sotomayor doesn't like this sort of activity. But what she says here, I think, gives me some optimism. I'm not going to say hope because I think there's actual reason to think that Justice Sotomayor might be our ally in eliminating or strictly limiting the third party doctrine. And this is what Sotomayor says in answer to this idea that you should have this pro-police deference with respect to the Fourth Amendment. She says, uh, quote, this is Sotomayor, I have a real fundamental question because this line drawing is only here because we've now created a Fourth Amendment entitlement to search for drugs using dogs whenever anybody stopped because that's what you're proposing. And is that really what the Fourth Amendment should permit? She says, we can't keep bending the Fourth Amendment to the resources of law enforcement, particularly when this stop is not, is not incidental to the purpose of the stop. It's purely to help the police get more criminals. She says, yes, but then the Fourth Amendment becomes a useless piece of paper 
end quote. And I say bravo in the sense that I think this has implications, right? All these people, you know, Obama in his State of the Union address, security, security, Mm -hmm. protect the kids. Oh, we don't want foreign people to get your information, but we'll just keep collecting it. But don't worry, we won't abuse it. We'll just put it in the big old database and you can trust us. She, I think, might be an ally against this. I am hoping that she will be an ally against this. I mean, clearly, yeah. over the years, she has expressed certain concern about these things. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. You say we've got a call over uh, here? I think it's Ed. Oh, okay, cool. Hi, is this Ed? Hey. Hi, how yes, are you? how are you doing? Uh, I, I'm doing pretty two good. Pieces of good. Two pieces of good news that I thought you'd get to, but uh, after depressing the crap out of us for the first hour and 45 minutes, <laughs> I think they need it. Okay. Uh so number one, I call in praise of Eric Holder. Now, I never thought I would say that, but he changed the rules last week for civil forfeiture. Did you see that uh, Yes, article? I did. The, I, I saw Basically, that. Let, let me ask you a question. Was it in reaction to all the senators that wrote him a letter? Because I first saw the story about the senators writing the letter, and then I saw the story about Holder actually restricting this practice of sharing you know, the yields from civil forfeiture in whatever corrupt way they were sharing those assets. Right. Yeah. You know, I don't know actually what caused them to do it. My guess is not so much the senators, but um, perhaps some other groups um, behind the scenes. Uh, uh, Because, you know, know, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a racial element too, because I'm sure, you know, that, substantial number of minorities get affected by this. Um, you know, if I have $5,000 in my pocket and no drugs on me, I doubt that the cops would take it. But if, that, That's not necessarily true, though. I've heard, you know, people were, they had $10,000 yeah. and they're on their way to buy a car that they, you know, agreed to buy on Craigslist or something and they had the cash and it just got taken right from them. And, you know, yeah. I, yeah. so it depends where it's you a, are. It's a, it's, a, it's a bad deal. So I, uh, I think it's uh, you know good for him uh, for doing this. I mean, it was a corrupt deal because most states have restricted the practice of civil forfeiture. Uh, if something's forfeited, it goes in the state general fund, and the police can't keep it. So what the right. Fed did was had this program where um, if the states collect the money, they can call the feds and say, hey, charge this guy with a federal crime, usually a drug crime. And, uh, and then the feds took the forfeiture themselves and then, uh, 80% of it went back to the uh, the local police force. And so the police uh, in a lot yeah. of communities spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to get money rather than how to catch criminals. Uh, and if, if Holder does pull this through, now, of course, this whole thing is completely unconstitutional and should be outlawed by statute. And so the next, you know, crazy attorney general could just turn around and start it up again. But it is, it, you know, it, it, it yeah, it's, 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 it's not a very firm foundation when it's just at the discretion of the particular attorney general. You know, we, it, it'd be yeah. nice to have a statute or it'd be even better to have a constitutional ruling. But I mean, how awesome is it that the Institute for Justice identified this particular point of insertion because they have been on a relentless publicity oh, yeah. campaign? I mean, they have shamed jurisdiction after jurisdiction that has engaged in this abusive you know behavior and i think they've had a huge effect you know to bring stuff like this about i'm sure what they've done has has influenced this so yeah the ij is is awesome now the second piece of good news good uh john boehner 
showing a little bit of air pressure in his testicles, mm-hmm. has invited Bibi Netanyahu to give an address to a joint session of Congress against the wishes of our dear leader. Yeah. And uh, that will occur in February. And I was uh, really happy to see that, to try to get Bibi, you know, talking to the American people in Congress without the filter of the John Kerry's and Hillary Clinton's. And I, think, I think that is beautiful and, and wonderful. And I do. And I thank you for calling in. I would have been better on my I, mean, I only had one measly actually i think the sotomayor was a a mildly good news story but i had one like yeah, purely yeah. you know another, another uh, good news story that i did post at the blog at dontletitgo.com but i was bereft of of the those two stories and and that's pretty shameful that i didn't have them up there my i i just plea kind of in, insanity almost after going through the 14 pages of that state of the union address there was not a whole lot I, more I, that warned I, ended up. I, I warned you on twitter i warned you on twitter uh, not to do that. Uh, well, I I read I, it and and I got I got to do that stuff every so often. I just you know I got to go out there and say okay yes he's still as wrong as he was and he's still just as evil and corrupt as he was and just kind of get it off my chest and let people know so what the, you know everyone's talking about. The third the third minor thing was yesterday Obama was interviewed on YouTube by three YouTube personalities, none of whom are particularly notable, but um, all of whom were. Obama fanboys, by the way. Uh, there's, so there's no question of getting, you know, someone in there who didn't agree with him. But surprisingly, right. they occasionally asked a decent question. Wow. I, you, 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 you know, just random people, even fans of his, they just get on there and, you know, not all the questions were decent. Some were psychophantic, but some of them were actually decent questions. And uh, I was surprised, you know. Well, so, so give, give, give one example. Can you give, give one example um, of the question there was uh, oh god now that compl- now that you asked me I've, complete, I've completely I've completely forgotten about sorry, it. Sorry, was um, it why do you hate America? Was it, was it, was it, was it the question? Yeah, look, it, on the scale of zero to uh, to ten, where you know ten are the best questions, and zero, you know, our our press corps is in the one and two range, and these guys were in three and four. They're not like us. Was, okay, you know, okay. but still, it was real questions. But it it. it it is funny. I, I will have to go through the transcript again myself to try to to find it. But I, they they asked well, him about you know they want free stuff. So there's a lot of I want free stuff. Sure, sure. Um, Why didn't I get my free stuff fast there, enough, Obama? <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but there was you know there was uh, and there was hardly any on the, you know the terror. I mean on the foreign policy. There was one question on on drone use. Uh, you know the, it, everything's falling apart. I mean you know. Uh, Yemen has just gone to the Iranians, and uh, it's just you know Syria oh. and Iraq and well, and isn't Turkey's it Ar- Iran and Iran and Russia are in bed together now too? And I mean, it, it's just everything. Yes. Big... Well, they've always they've always been in bed together. So. I've I've got one more piece of mildly positive news, and and by the way, I I have to note Ed because you were just the one saying, and it's close to over that you call in to give pieces yes. of good news that you are apparently collecting in your mind. So kudos to you for even though you think it's close to over, you're still focusing on, on the good news. I think that's awesome. Um, but here's one, and I think it was, yeah, Rob Abiera shared this with me. He's, uh, it's the Daily Signal headline, at the last second, the House GOP leaders ditch effort to pass bill limiting abortion. Do you love that? It is yeah, House Republican leadership tonight abruptly dropped a bill that would ban elective abortions after the 20th week of pregnancy. 
According to news reports, female GOP lawmakers raised concerns on the, quote, pain-capable unborn child protection act, prompting party leaders to scrap a vote on the bill. I say kudos to them. Um, I'm not sure that 20 weeks is really at viability anyway. I, you know, certainly if I was carrying... I think I think Ed dropped. Ed dropped? It says here, caller has dropped. Oh, that's sad. Okay. Uh, um, can I just say one, one decent news piece? Yeah, one decent news piece. Oh, he, yeah, he did. He got disconnected. Sorry about that. I don't know how that happened. I saw um, American Sniper. Oh, yeah. It's a good film. Um, two, two reasons why, for me. Seeing, it, seeing the enemy get it again and again and again throughout the movie. That fighting the enemy is a good thing in the movie. The hero calls the enemy savages at least a couple of times. And uh, it's, there's a recognition of the toll that prolonged, prolonged wars take on human beings. I don't care how good, I don't care how dedicated they are. It's going to affect them in profound ways. So I thought that was good. They didn't shy away from that. And it's, it's a monster success. And uh, Hollywood has tried anti-war movies, anti-defense movies, more anti, anti-American defense movies for the last decade, right. and they've all bombed. And for the last few movies that have been pro-defense, uh, which that's what pro-war is really, it's, it's pro-defense of America, have been blockbusters, and this one in particular. So, excellent. Excellent. That was very good. Now, in the last few minutes of the show today, what I want you guys to do, if you believe that you would like to improve your productivity this year, and you would like to check out what I think is the most promising program for actually running you through the paces for 12 weeks to help you instill new habits that will increase your productivity dramatically, I would say if you haven't done it yet, get over to my blog at don'tletitgo.com. If you're listening live here on Blog Talk Radio, I've embedded the links in the description for today's show. Go out and check out Evan Pagan's video. He's got a, a video, I think it's 30-ish minutes long or so, I can't remember exactly the length, where he describes this program. It's a 12-week program. It starts next week. Uh, Next Monday, there's little quick start videos, Monday through Friday. I think they're 10 minutes each or something, some exercises to get everybody warmed up with some groundwork. And then the following Monday starts the series of 12 weekly videos. And his goal is to instill completely over the course of 90 days in your life two dramatically productivity-increasing habits. And what I'm going to do for people who are signing up, you know, in the context of this show, usually people who are fans of Ayn Rand's philosophy, if not full-on objectivists, we're going to chew the sessions from our context and discuss anything where, okay, well, I disagree with him on this, but how do we look at it? And is this, you know, still something worth instilling? And if so, how? Any you know, kind of qualms that people have, because you know how it is, right? You sometimes have a little bit of resistance. You listen to somebody and they, he's not a philosopher, I don't think. I mean, he definitely has studied some philosophical ideas. He has, right, but in some places he goes a little far and you say, okay, you know. um, Even if you agree with you, you're like, okay, he's not a philosopher. Well, or he, he, he does phrase things incorrectly, even though I think the thrust of what he's saying. So anyway, any kind of qualms that people have, any challenges, any legitimate challenges that they have to implementing a particular practice or habit that they just want to kind of talk through with somebody else, this is the sort of thing that we'll do in our weekly sessions. So like I said, 
uh, Monday, January, uh, excuse me, Monday, February 2nd, we're almost in February. Hmm. Monday, February 2nd is, I believe, when the weekly Monday sessions will start being released. And then on Tuesday, February 3rd, from 4.30 to 5.30 Pacific time, we'll be doing a webinar, those people who are joining with me on this program, and we will chew and go through this program together. So go over to my blog at don'tletitgo.com, follow the links or follow the link here on Blog Talk, check it out, see if the program is for you, and I hope you'll join me. I'm looking forward to starting it next week. Several of you have already signed up, I see, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun and it's going to help us be more productive in fighting the bad guys. And I will finish the infidel a little sooner. I expect to. I'm looking, I do. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, so, Thanks, Jonathan. Oh, thank you. Now, yeah, um, Robert NYC here in the chat room says that he signed up. Yeah, I'm looking forward to having you in the group because I know you are a big productivity connoisseur. And yeah, at, and like I said, at the end of it, we're going to do some short webinars on living a rational life in an irrational society like the one that we have today. So we'll put it in the broader context. So if you're interested in this, go over, don'tletitgo.com, check it out, and we'll talk to you next week, everyone. Take care. Thanks, everyone.